0: Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. That means you're awake and you're alert. You're going to be active listeners, right? Okay. Well, that's the last time I'm going to check on that. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Open your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and before I say anything more, I want to ask you to remember uh lesson Mary Cook. Uh, but Les reached out to Brother Dave this morning and let him know that uh, he took Mary to the hospital this morning and is concerned that she might have had a stroke. So let's just keep them in our minds and, and, and pray for them. Um, I haven't heard anything back from Brother except that he was thankful we're praying. And um, I'll try to keep you informed as I've learned new things. But um, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and we only have uh, just a little bit left. We started chapter six uh, last week, talking about children and parents, and Paul has been taking us through uh, what the scholars call household codes. And these last uh, five verses is kind of the last uh, address towards these household codes. And I think it's—I was thinking about this this morning. I think it's a little ironic that the household code we're going to talk about is has to do with our work. And this is Labor Day weekend. So, happy Labor Day. God, I did not plan that, and, uh, and I think God planned that a little bit. But let's read this passage. We're going to be in Ephesians again, uh, chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5, and we're just going to read through verse 9. Paul writes, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven neither is their respective persons with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to be in your word and to, uh, to preach. God, I pray you just would uh, guide me and allow uh, the distractions I know that I can bring to this uh, to fade. And Lord, I pray your word will shine and that it will help us to have a, a deeper understanding of, of, of your word. But also, Lord, challenge us uh, to live a different way than the rest of this world does. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, I'm going to do, I have three points, points this morning, and the first one is exhortations. I see, I want to talk about Paul's instruction. The second will be some explanation, uh, because we're going to be talking about a subject, and I'm not going to try to avoid it simply because it doesn't seem as relevant to today. Um, so we're going to talk about some explanations, and then the last point is to we're going to talk about some application. So exhortation, Paul's instruction is to who? Who is he talking to? In the, he's talking about household code. What kind of household people is he talking about? What relationships? Slaves. So this is Paul's instructions to slaves and to masters. And it's interesting, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, how that Paul is addressing slaves and masters as he's writing to a church. But in our first four verses, Jesus is referenced, I hope you notice, at least uh, 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 four times through each verse. Verse 5, it says that they're to obey them uh, uh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. In verse 6, it's uh, as unto the servants of Christ verse 7 it's as to the lord and verse 8 it says she shall he receive of the lord and so in case you're wondering the instructions to slaves in particular are pretty clear it's do your work as unto Christ in fact what paul is saying to these slaves these servants that would have heard uh, this letter read aloud he's saying live all of your life as unto Christ I mean, slaves were to obey their masters, but they were to see Christ as their ultimate master. Uh, 1 Corinthians seven twenty two. Uh, Paul wrote, he said, "...for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price, but not ye the servants of men." He, what he's saying is, is Christ is all of our master. He's the master of everyone. Uh, the the slave or the bond, or, or the free. And Paul is, is giving the slave the opportunity not just to uh, to to live a life that pleases God and glorifies God by obeying their masters, he's saying, Listen, you know, your master may not be the greatest guy, he may not be your favorite person, but you know what? Christ is your master. He's giving them an opportunity to swap masters. And even if they can't swap their position, even if they can't swap their jobs, he's, he's, he's saying instead of being preoccupied with serving your human master, he, why don't you be preoccupied with a higher preoccupation? And that is to serve the Lord. And that gives us freedom. It gives us uh, joy. It gives us freedom from having this boring perspective on your work. Because listen, there's no such thing as you know, just a job. What, what God is having everybody to do is important. I, I like to, uh, when I, I think about heaven, and, and I guess I don't think about it as much as maybe we all should, But when I think about heaven, when I was younger, I had a really hard time wrapping my head around, what are we going to do all the time? You know, I was told, oh, we're going to praise God for all eternity. And I thought, it's a really long worship service. I don't know that I can do... I mean, I like to worship, but I don't know that I can do that for all eternity. There's got to be something more. And I think there is something more. You know, when when God created uh, uh, the heavens and the earth, and he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had jobs. They had responsibilities. I believe in heaven. We're going to have responsibilities. And uh, uh, they may not be the... uh, we may not see them here as the, the the responsibility we want. I'm I'm expecting, fully expecting that I'm gonna be like a, a back alley sweeper who's just gonna be cleaning up the trash in the back alleys of heaven. Um and that'll be enough for me. I mean uh heavenly jobs, listen, there's there's you can glorify God in your work. That's what he's telling these these slaves. I see. In this four verses that are really directed towards slaves, uh, uh, four ways that they could glorify Christ in their work. The first one is by working uh, respectfully. He says, Be obedient, in verse 5, unto them that are your masters according to the flesh. So these these fleshly masters, these earthly masters, be obedient to them. But it, it gives a little more to it. It says, With fear and trembling. Uh, They were to work seriously because they were working as unto Christ. They were were trying to do something that was pleasing to God. If we went back to uh, uh, Ephesians 5.21, I think it's kind of the same kind of language where he says, Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Uh, We're to be respectful to God. We ought to be respectful to our masters. Uh, We should be respectful to the ones we were working for. Uh, By Also, I see in this, verse 6, by working wholeheartedly. You know, servants were supposed to work wholeheartedly. These slaves, uh, he says in verse 6, not with eye service. Anybody any, Anybody work with eye service? You're going, what in the world are you talking about? You, what, that, what he's describing is working hard only when the master is looking. So it looks like you're doing your job well. He's saying, don't work like that. Uh, you, you should... Put your whole heart into it, not with eye service, as men pleasers. Don't be working hard only when the master is looking. Don't be a hypocrite in what you're doing. I think it was a a common temptation for slaves and servants uh, to be lazy. When the master wasn't watching, to kick back and not really take up their responsibilities or lying about the kind of work they were doing and the quality of their work instead of working wholeheartedly. You know, the reality is, is Christ sees all of this. Christ is aware of what kind of uh, 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 worker these slaves were. Christ uh, is going to see, and you know, Christ is the ultimate judge. It says, "Doing uh, verse six, doing the will of, the, of God from the heart. We should do this. They should do this wholeheartedly. Um, the third way I see uh, that they could glorify Christ in their work was in verse seven by working willingly. It says with good will, doing service. That means working with a good attitude, not grudgingly. I was really pleased with my sons yesterday, Ben and John. Uh, you know, you know why kids are great. They're like, sometimes they're like little servants and then you can tell them what to do. It's great, okay? Yeah, they're all looking up at me now. Um, I told them yesterday, I told them Friday evening before they went to bed, I said, hey, tomorrow y'all need to do the dishes in the morning sometime. And uh, they had something they wanted to do. They hadn't done the dishes uh, by the afternoon and and they had something they wanted to do. And I said, you know what? Uh, That's fine if you wanna do that, but you gotta go do the dishes first. And I don't wanna hear any arguing or complaining. And guess what I didn't hear? I didn't hear any arguing or complaining. They got it done. They did it with a good attitude. Now, they might have hidden their bad attitude while I wasn't watching. But, uh, you know, it was a blessing to me to see their good attitude, that they didn't do it grudgingly. Listen, we, when, we're serving, uh, when these slaves were, were serving their masters, they were to do it with a good attitude. Think about that. This is, this is a really kind of different... A world view for a slave towards his master to serve willingly, wholeheartedly, with respect. Paul's telling servants to work with a good attitude because they're doing in verse six the will of God. Good attitude means you're glad and cheerful about what you're doing. Man, think about a slave hearing these instructions, and then the fourth thing I see as a uh, uh, towards the slave to uh, that they can do to to glorify Christ uh, would be to work in verse eight expectantly, what do you mean by that, brother dear? Well, read that verse again with me, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. I think what Paul is doing is he 's reminding these slaves and these servants that um, that there is an ultimate reward coming. There's an ultimate reward coming. In fact, no, no, no act will go unnoticed by God. You know, believers, all believers are one day going to stand before God and they're going to be rewarded based on their faithfulness to Christ's words, to God's words. You know, that ought to change, that should change this perspective of the slave on how they worked. Yeah, ultimately they were going to be, uh, yes, they were serving an earthly master, but ultimately it was Christ who was going to give the reward. Whether they're rewarded on earth or not, there ultimately would be a reward and they should uh, keep that in mind as they were serving. And then I see some instruction to masters. And I think we can sum it up by saying that masters are to treat your slaves as you would treat Christ. Verse 9, we're we'll just read this verse, and then I just want to take a, a, a moment to make a few observations. It says, And you masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is the respect of persons with him. So, masters, I see four things for masters too. The first one that they should practice is practice the golden rule. When he says, You masters do the same things unto them. Basically, what what Paul is saying is uh, they're to treat their slaves and their servants the way they want to be treated. With humility. With integrity. With some respect. With some kindness. Uh, Masters had a responsibility to treat Christian masters we're now having a responsibility to treat their servants the way they would want to be treated. Uh, even more, to treat them as you would treat Christ. Matthew 25 verse 40 says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Listen, they're supposed to realize that, listen, if you're ministering and you're, you're leading this slave, you should do it as though you're leading Christ you're caring for his needs too. I see also in this, it says forbearing, threatening. Uh, we'll put it in a little more American English. How about avoid hostility? You know, while the servant might have been tempted to be lazy, I think masters were tempted uh, to threaten and to bully. Christian masters were to be different. Christian masters were not to bully their slaves, and not to show an outward, uh, a bunch of outward aggression to try to cow them into submission. That wasn't Christian. The instruction was to forbear threatening, avoid hostility. The third thing I see is to live. They should live. Masters were to live with accountability. Think about that. Knowing, Look at what he says next. Knowing that your master also is in heaven. He's talking to earthly masters. He's saying, "Listen, you ought to know that your master is in heaven. You have a master too. Uh, uh, Masters were to live in fear of Christ." There's three proverbs I'd like to share. Proverbs 22:2 says, "The rich and poor they meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all." Hey, they're the same. In the Lord's eyes, Proverbs twenty nine thirteen the the poor and the deceitful man they meet together. They're the same. The Lord lightens both their eyes. Or Proverbs fifteen three the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Listen, masters were to live in fear of Christ because they didn't have some kind of special status because they had more money or more power in in earth. That sobering truth should have changed some master's lives, all of those Christian master's lives and the way they lived. And then they need to remember that God, that God is impartial. <laughs> that last part to that verse 9, neither is there any, is there respective persons with him. And he's, that should be, I would, I would have capitalized that H on him because it's talking about the Lord, your true master. You know, there might have been respective persons built into their society. You know, the Roman law uh, would often uh, judge masters differently than they would m- judge servants or slaves. Servants and slaves, guess, guess uh, uh, how many rights they had compared to their masters. They had more or less. Less. They had less rights. They had less value in the view of the Roman government. And so they received less uh, rightful treatment and judgment. They were they were uh, partial towards masters, but the Lord Jesus is utterly impartial, completely impartial. Roman law might have been discriminatory; heavenly justice is not. Pretty clear instructions, I believe, to masters and to slaves. But you might be wondering why we're talking about masters and slaves. I think I'd like to explain a little bit. I think a lot of ministers might avoid the subject of slavery in the Bible and just jump into what the application is because there's plenty of application to talk about. But there is a historical context for slavery here. There's something to talk about. And I I, I don't want you to go home wondering you know, I know what Brother Darren says. This means for my work at home, and in my life, and my work, and my job, and 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 to others, and that, with that kind of relationship in my life. But what about what about these slaves that were in the Ephesian church? Well, I'll just share a little bit. I, I can't. I'm not going to bust this subject wide open, but I'm going to share a little bit and just kind of hit the highlights. It is estimated that there were anywhere between 6 and 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire around this time. And so that's a pretty wide uh, difference, 6 to 60 million, but we're still talking about millions of slaves. It was very much a part of their life, uh, with nearly a third of the people estimated as being slaves. And slavery in their society was not like the recent uh, American version of slavery within the last couple hundred years. Uh, slaves didn't just do menial work. They uh, could rise in the ranks. A good example of this would be like Joseph. Remember Joseph back in, uh, uh, in the book of uh, Genesis? who was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ended up working for a man named Potiphar. And uh, how, how, did he, how did his relationship with Potiphar change and develop? Well, before too long, he was in charge of Potiphar's whole house. He was the, he was the manager. He was the supervisor over all the things that had to take place under Potiphar's household. And so he had risen in the ranks. Uh, they could also hold positions of leadership, like, like Joseph did, even obtain freedom. Uh, with most of them gaining freedom, uh, one, of the, one commentator said most of them would gain freedom by the, about the age 30. Slaves also didn't become slaves because of bigoted uh, racial reasons. It was often a, a financial reason. Uh, they could have been born into it, of course, uh, or also oftentimes they, their parent might have sold them into slavery, or or maybe their parent had abandoned them, and they got a, a kind of put into slavery, which honestly was a better situation than living on the streets, oftentimes. They might have been forced into slavery through captivity and war, or, or an inability to pay debts, is something that we see talked about in, in Scripture, or, or voluntary attempts. Some people would voluntarily become a servant to someone's household in an attempt to better their life. Now, slavery, that doesn't mean slavery couldn't be harsh or cruel, Of course, it could be harsh and cruel in Roman uh, slavery. And and I already talked about how the Roman government would have been partial towards masters over their slaves in terms of uh, justice. But their circumstances depended mostly on their owners. But we're opposed to slavery. We are. But it seemed like the biblical authors are a bit silent on this issue. So I want to ask the question for you, if you're wondering, did the biblical authors or writers, not authors, the author is God, did the biblical writers condone slavery? That's right. The answer is no. The answer is no. There's no passage in scripture that encourages the abuse of power. There's no passage in scripture uh, that encourages the mistreatment of people. Uh, it's quite the opposite to what the Bible teaches. So why do the writers seem silent on this subject? Well, one commentator had some good points I want to share with you. He said Christians were an insignificant group in the Roman Empire at the time. And, and not only that, but their, their religion was illegal. So therefore, they were politically powerless. It wouldn't have been, very, wouldn't have been a really great point for uh, Paul to focus on slavery as a subject to write about. Uh, some scholars also suggest that the first century was also a time of change regarding this issue where slaves were being freed frequently and easily among other humanitarian changes. But also, I think, uh, I think the gospel clearly opposes slavery and it undermines it. The gospel undermines slavery to a great extent. We're called to love our neighbor, not own them, <laughs> Owning people is vile and sinful. We're, we're to treat others the way that we want to be treated. That's the golden rule we find in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. Slavery is the opposite of the golden rule. Slavery, or, uh, nor, Slaves nor masters were ever viewed positively in the Bible. Slavery was never viewed positively in the Bible. God freed the Israelites from Egypt. You remember this? From cruel slavery. And then, through the book of Exodus, he gave Israel strict laws on how to treat other people and drawing uh, uh, to their attention to not treat others as they had been treated in Egypt. The gospel itself is a picture of freedom from bondage. I mean, Jesus, what did he do? He came to set the captives free. (laughs) Jesus. uh, was, was, was about liberating people. And so Paul, clearly, in all that he wrote, in the books that he wrote through the New Testament, his, his insistence on the spread of the gospel was to undermine, would undermine slavery. If you want to talk more about that, we can talk more about it, but you're going to have to catch me another time. But I think Paul clearly undermined slavery in Ephesians. He focused In Ephesians, uh, on the spreading of the gospel in uh, in a society that embraced slavery, and in doing so, he planted the seeds of the destruction of slavery. Uh, Paul also focused on, uh, when he's focused on spreading the gospel, he also described how Christian slaves and masters should treat one another in a way that was a major change from the norm. I mean, think about what he just described. That would not have been the norm in any slave or master relationship. And so that radical change that view of others as as being someone that we should serve and and, and, and minister to or 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 support because of Christ would ultimately change another that would be another seed for slavery's destruction. Pauls told Paul told masters to show their slaves justice and fairness. Something that didn't exist in any of the household laws of of their day. And we know that slavery slowly died out from this period of time in antiquity because of the influence of Christianity. There might have been slaves in the Ephesian church, but they weren't second-class members in the eyes of those that were there. They weren't supposed to be, at least. They were to be viewed as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if the question in your mind has been, well, uh, did the writers condone slavery? I think absolutely no. And the whole idea of the gospel undermines it completely. This is an interesting subject. We could go on about it. But ultimately, we need to consider how this applies to us. Because in our day and age, we don't, praise the Lord, I mean, in reality, there's more slavery in the world today than there has ever been in history, I think. There's millions and millions of slaves all over the world. It doesn't exist in America like it had, praise God. But uh, it exists. But in our personal culture that we have right now, uh, we don't really deal with this firsthand. And I will encourage you that there uh, there are ministries out there. In fact, the Amazing Grace Children's Home, you may not know this, but those that Amazing Grace children's home in Mexico City, they, they take kids off the street who've been abandoned by their families and, and neglected and often abused, and they take those kids off the street and they give them a home and they share with them the gospel. You know what they're really helping to protect those kids from? Slavery. Okay, so... We try to support ministries that will uh, help to to alleviate the dangers of slavery in our world. And I would say there's other ministries out there that do the very same thing. And if you're interested in that, ask me. Okay, The International Justice Mission, I think, is a a really good work you could give towards. Um, But I digress. How does this apply to our work? How does this apply to our life? I think uh, this passage should change our life. Maybe even thinking I'm not a slave and I don't have slaves. Can't we just move on? No, sorry. I think if we, if we look at this passage and, and the instructions that Paul gives, it will truly change our life. First, it should change the way that we work. And that's the title of the sermon, changing the way we work. This should, this, these instructions should change the way we work. No job is just a job. Every job is a way to serve and honor christ this passage was unless it's something illegal or immoral okay this passage was meant for people in much worse working conditions think about this this is meant for slaves with far fewer rights than you and i have so if it's meant for them shouldn't we seek to apply this passage in our lives in a much better situation and shouldn't it bring a much greater change in our own life I mean, you might think your job stinks. I put a, a poll out on, uh, on Facebook on Friday asking, hey, what's, a, what's a, your worst job that you've hated? And I got lots of things back. Um, uh, Marion said that she hated uh, raising her brothers, um, but that it paid off. Uh, a friend of mine who I used to work with said, jokingly said, working at a feed store, we worked at a feed store together. Cleaning bathrooms. My mother-in-law put cleaning up vomit in the car, and I can give that a hefty amen. (laughs) I don't enjoy that. That's a terrible job. Telemarketing was named house cleaning. We have a a, a brother here that's with us this morning. He's an MMA fighter, and that might be a job that stinks to some of us. Um, You know, uh, um, picking cotton. Herald tipping. Picking cotton. There's lots of lots of terrible jobs. And you might think that your job stinks, but I think you can agree that it doesn't stink as bad as being a slave. <laughs> so let's consider, uh, let's just quickly consider if you're an employee. Uh, a couple of things you should do is work. I think you should do your work through Christ. You know, Paul is addressing a Christian church here, he's writing to Christians. Uh, these are people who've been spiritually raised from death to life eternal they've been saved by grace through the death and shed blood of Jesus Christ they also have the indwelling of the holy spirit so they didn't just they didn't live their lives they just they didn't just live their lives love their spouses and raise their kids alone they had the lord with them to help them and guess what neither do we if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior you have been raised From death unto eternal life, saved by the blood and grace of Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to do your job and raise your kids and enjoy your marriage without Christ. You can do it with him in your life, and we should. In the Old Testament, Joseph was sold into slavery, and he worked for Potiphar, but it says that the Lord was with Joseph several times. Uh, he wasn't alone, and neither are we. We should do our work through Christ. So let me ask this. When you work, do you pray before you go to work? You should. Do you pray that God would fill you so that you can used as, be used as His missionary for Christ where you work? Because you should. Listen, if we're to do... Uh, our work as unto the lord Then we should be ready to fulfill his commission wherever we are Even at the workplace Such a blessing some of the testimonies i've heard of friends of mine who who have reached others for christ while at work When I worked for that when I worked at that feed store I was in a position of management and there was a young man there who worked in our garden center And he realized he found out that I was a sunday school teacher and he started asking me bible questions and before long we were going to lunch together and having a little Bible study and that guy got saved. His name was Travis. Listen, you can reach people for Christ wherever you're at and especially at your job. We not only should work through Christ, we should work Oh man, this is tough. We should work like Christ. You say amen. Let's think about what that means. And Jesus Jesus left us the example of the the he was he was the model Of work ethic. He was a humble servant. I mean, he left glory to seek and to save the lost. He was not willing that any should be lost if he could help it. He went to the furthest that he could go to reach those that needed a Savior. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, before he was uh, in his earthly ministry, he was a carpenter and a laborer. And I think he did that in this dumpy town of Nazareth. Unto the Father until he was 30 years old. He served God uh, uh, as unto the Father. Or he served in these roles as unto the Father. Let me ask some questions about how you believe Jesus would be as an employee. Do you think he disrespected anybody while he was working? Had a nasty attitude with, those, uh, with, his, with the customers and, the, and his co-workers? No. Do you think he would slack off while nobody else was watching? No. Do you think uh, Jesus would have billed somebody dishonestly for some extra time? Do you think Jesus would go to work with a bad attitude? No. Y'all know the answer to this. Do you think he would minimize his work? No, I think he saw the value in it and he, he put his heart and soul into it. Do you think Jesus would have been prideful about his accomplishments and, and, and fly them in everybody's face? No, I don't think so. I think if we're to follow Christ as his followers, then we should follow his example of work ethic. We should have integrity. We should be, uh, our workplace uh, should be a wonderful mission field. We should see it that way. And and it should be a, we should see it as a great place to make the gospel look good to unbelievers. Uh, I've shared this testimony about a friend of mine. His name is Alton who reached someone with Christ At a mechanic shop he worked at While the boss was giving him a hard time And the only way he reached him Was because as he was going through this hard time He didn't complain He he lived a Christian walk Before these other guys And because of that One of them saw that something was different Saw that he had something they didn't have And ultimately he got saved We should follow Christ As his followers We should follow his example And then We should work Uh, through Christ, work like Christ, and work for Christ. Uh, Spurgeon had a really great quote uh, that I found while I was studying, um, talking about how we should do our best and that we should do it for Jesus. He said this, he said, it is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, (laughs) or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to, to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for shop assistants to serve customers, accountants, to audit books and secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Listen, we ought to do our work as unto the Lord. We should work for Him. A lot of us often don't think that our work really matters. And that makes sense when you consider that only the work of Christ has saved you and you can't do anything to add to it. But I think our works matter. They matter. I mean, someday we're going to give an account before, uh, of our works before a holy God. And it should be our desire and our goal in our life to hear from Him. Whether we had all the accolades on earth or not, we should hear from Him. Uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's talk about employers shortly. <laughs> I think employers who are to be leaders, they should lead through Christ. I mean, you follow the example here, the, the, the same path here? Leaders take on many responsibilities. They, they make many sacrifices. The leaders need the Spirit's power in their life. Paul, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, and uh, I was going to stop and talk about this, but we're going to have to move a little quicker. Paul struggled with the weight of leading churches. He struggled with it. In 2 Corinthians 11, but he later explained that his weakness, in his weakness, the grace of God was sufficient. He needed God in his life to help him do the work that God had called him to do. We need leaders. If you're a leader in here, you need Christ in your life. You need the Spirit of God to empower you, to help you. We need, uh, leaders also should lead like Christ. Not only was Christ a model servant, he was also the ultimate master. I mean, he 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 had, think about the kind of leadership that Jesus exhibited. To put, anybody want to put a title to it? What kind of leadership? He was a servant leader, wasn't he? Servant leadership. He came to serve. He took up the towel. He, he cared for the vulnerable. He did not seek earthly praise. He was a shepherd, not a dictator. I think if you're a boss, you need to lead like Christ. You're your, your employees, your, uh, those that are lower to y- than you on the, on the corporate ladder, should see you as an awesome Christian who lives like Christ. They shouldn't feel the, uh, the, the, the dictatorship that you've been lording over them, if that's the case. It should not be the case. That's not Christian. It's sinful. Should lead through Christ, lead like Christ. How about lead for Christ. Because ultimately, uh, all bosses, all masters were going to give an account. That's what, he, Paul, that's what Paul wrote in verse 9, right? He said, you're all going to give an account. Remember, your master uh, also is in heaven. You're going to give an account. So remember, um, uh, leaders, when you're tempted to cut corners, remember that God sees everything. He's going to notice it, if somebody else, even if somebody else doesn't. And Christ will judge rightly in all areas of your life. If you cut corners, if you uh, didn't do your due diligence, if you uh, didn't weren't a good boss, Christ is going to see it, and He's going to judge rightly. And Christ, He's impartial. We talked about this. Leaders should seek to honor Him with holy leadership. Just, I, I said this should change the way we work. Uh, I have two other things and I'll, I'll make it short. We should, this passage should also change the way we see other people. I mean, think about the relationships Paul is dealing with here. Slaves and masters. Uh, slaves who would have naturally resented their masters and maybe even rebelled, want to rebel, want to escape. Masters who would, who would naturally see slaves as lesser than themselves and, and worthy of less care and concern. And Paul completely turned it on its head. He said, you're to, you're to do this as unto Christ. Worldly, our worldly culture separates uh, people based on their wealth and status. That that's exists here in America. I mean, it happens all the time. Christians should not buy into this. Everyone has the same value, no matter how different they look, no matter uh, what kind of job they have everyone has the same value uh, the the uh, the founders got it right when they said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights unalienable rights listen we should not give preferential treatment to uh, to a certain class or ethnic group we should not we should care for the rich and powerful as well as we care for the poor and powerless it should take we, we, it's going to take effort for us to manage our body and our language and our mind in this, but it's, it's incredibly important that we see people as God sees them. To think, of less, to think less of somebody because they're different dehumanizes them. We need to compare our actions and our attitudes towards others with how Christ would treat someone and think of someone. Last thing, this should change the way, we, uh, the way we work. This passage should change the way we see other people. And this passage should change the way we prioritize our life. Uh, you, you may have read this with me and thought, well, this is just another one of those little household cold code theory, uh, things. But in reality, this is a check on your priorities. What is most important? What matters most in this text? What matters most is your relationship to Christ. The most important thing in this life is not your job, your wealth, your car, your status, how much power you have. The most important thing in this life is how you have responded to Christ. Is he your master? Mark 8.36 we seek all kinds of stuff in this life to give us meaning and value, don't we? Jesus said in Mark eight thirty six, "For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul?" The reality is, is that every single person that has walked this planet needs a savior. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, your salvation is in question, let me tell you, you need a Savior. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, that you can know that you have eternal life. And it's not because you did the right things and dressed the right way and went to church every Sunday and you got baptized or any of that other stuff. The only way you're going to know is because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, the same is true for Christians. That the most important thing in your life is how you respond to Christ's Lordship in your life. I I talked about this a couple of weeks ago that there's only two roles in the world those of master and servant. Did you know how many masters there are? True masters, there's only one, and it's the Lord. And he's not going to give up his seat to somebody else, no matter how much college education you got or how good looking you are. That opportunity is not available to you. The only role available to you is that of servant to the one true God, the one true master, Jesus Christ. What have you done with Christ? If you want to live a life that glorifies God, then something's got to change prioritizing Him should come first, and then that should influence every area of our life. Our marriage, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with other people, our relationship with our co-workers, everyone in our life should change. Let's stand together. If you're here this morning, and as I said, if you've never trusted Christ or you're not certain that